0: is a richer possibility. And he's entirely himself. He is certain of it, and he knows that sleep is behind him. To know the difference between it and waking, to know the boundaries, is the essence of sanity. The bedroom is large and uncluttered. As he glides across it with almost comic facility, the prospect of the experience ending saddens him briefly. Then the thought is gone. He is by the center window pulling back the tall folding wooden shutters with care so as not to wake Rosalind in this he's selfish as well as solicitous he doesn't wish to be asked what he's about what answer could he give and why relinquish this moment in the attempt he opens the second shutter letting it concertina into the casement and quietly raises the sash window It is many feet taller than him, but it slides easily upwards, hoisted by its concealed lead counterweight. His skin tightens as the February air pours in around him, but he isn't troubled by the cold. From the second floor, he faces the night, the city in its icy white light, the skeletal trees in the square, and thirty feet below, the black arrowhead railings like a row of spears. There's a degree or two of frost, and the air is clear. The street-lamp glare hasn't quite obliterated all the stars. Above the Regency façade on the other side of the square hang remnants of constellations in the southern sky. That particular façade is a reconstruction, a pastiche. Wartime Fitzrovia took some hits from the Luftwaffe, and right behind is the post-office tower. Municipal and seedy by day, but at night half-concealed and decently illuminated, a valiant memorial to more optimistic days. And now, what days are these? Baffled and fearful, he mostly thinks, when he takes time from his weekly round to consider. But he doesn't feel that now. He leans forwards, pressing his weight onto his palms against the sill, exulting in the emptiness and clarity of the scene. His vision, always good seems to have sharpened. He sees the paving stone mica glistening in the pedestrianised square, pigeon excrement hardened by distance and cold into something almost beautiful, like a scattering of snow. He likes the symmetry of black cast-iron posts and their even darker shadows, and the lattice of cobbled gutters. The overfull litter baskets suggest abundance rather than squalor. The vacant benches set around the circular gardens look benignly expectant of their daily traffic. Cheerful lunchtime office crowds, the solemn, studious boys from the Indian hostel, lovers in quiet raptures or crisis, the crepuscular drug dealers, the ruined old lady with her wild, haunting calls. Go away, she'll shout for hours at a time, and squawk harshly, sounding like some marsh bird or... ZOO CREATURE Standing here, as immune to the cold as a marble statue, gazing towards Charlotte Street, towards a foreshortened jumble of facades, scaffolding and pitched roofs, Henry thinks the city is a success, a brilliant invention, a biological masterpiece. Millions teeming around the accumulated and layered achievements of the centuries as though around a coral reef, sleeping, working entertaining themselves, harmonious for the most part, nearly everyone wanting it to work. And the Peron's own corner? A triumph of congruent proportion, the perfect square laid out by Robert Adam enclosing a perfect circle of garden, an eighteenth-century dream bathed and embraced by modernity, by streetlight from above and from below by fibre-optic cables and cool fresh water coursing down pipes, and sewage borne away in an instant of forgetting. An habitual observer of his own moods, he wonders about this sustained, distorting euphoria. Perhaps down at the molecular level there's been a chemical accident while he slept, something like a spilt tray of drinks, prompting dopamine-like receptors to initiate a kindly cascade of intracellular events. Or it's the prospect of a Saturday, or the paradoxical consequence of extreme tiredness. It's true he finished the week in a state of unusual depletion. He came home to an empty house, and lay in the bath with a book. Content to be talking to no one, it was his literate, too literate daughter Daisy, who sent the biography of Darwin, which in turn has something to do with the Conrad novel she wants him to read, and which he has yet to start— Seafaring, however morally fraught, doesn't much interest him. For some years now, she's been addressing what she believes is his astounding ignorance, guiding his literary education, scolding him for poor taste and insensitivity. She has a point. Straight from school to medical school, to the slavish hours of a junior doctor, then the total absorption of neurosurgery training spliced with committed fatherhood, For fifteen years, he barely touched a non-medical book at all. On the other hand, he thinks he's seen enough death, fear, courage and suffering to supply half a dozen literatures. Still, he submits to her reading lists. They're his means of remaining in touch as she grows away from her family into unknowable womanhood in a suburb of Paris. Tonight, she'll be home for the first time in six months. Another cause for euphoria— He was behind with his assignments from Daisy. With one toe occasionally controlling a fresh input of hot water, he blearily read an account of Darwin's dash to complete The Origin of Species, and a summary of the concluding pages, amended in later editions. At the same time he was listening to the radio news. The stolid Mr. Blix has been addressing the UN again. There's a general impression that he's rather undermined the case for war. Then. Certain he'd taken in nothing at all, Perone switched the radio off, turned back the pages, and read again. At times, this biography made him comfortably nostalgic for a verdant, horse-drawn, affectionate England. At others, he was faintly depressed by the way a whole life could be contained by a few hundred pages, bottled like homemade chutney by how easily an existence, its ambitions, networks of family and friends, all its cherished stuff, solidly possessed, could so entirely vanish. Afterwards, he stretched out on the bed to consider his supper, and remembered nothing more. Rosalind must have drawn the covers over him when she came in from work. She would have kissed him. Forty-eight years old, profoundly asleep at nine-thirty on a Friday night. This is modern professional life. He works hard. Everyone around him works hard, and this week he's been pushed harder by a flu outbreak among the hospital staff. His operating list has been twice the usual length. By means of balancing and doubling, he was able to perform major surgery in one theatre, supervise a senior registrar in another, and perform minor procedures in a third. He has two neurosurgical registrars in his firm at present, Sally Madden, who is almost qualified and entirely reliable, and a year-two registrar, Rodney Brown, from Guyana. Gifted, hard-working, but still unsure of himself. Perone's consultant anaesthetist, Jay Strauss, has his own registrar, Gita Sial. For three days keeping Rodney at his side, Perone moved between the three suites, the sound of his own clogs on the corridor's polished floors and the various squeaks and groans of the theatre swing doors sounded like orchestral accompaniments. Friday's list was typical. While Sally closed up a patient, Perone went next door to relieve an elderly lady of her trigeminal neuralgia, her tic douloureux. These minor operations can still give him pleasure. He likes to be fast and accurate. He slipped a gloved forefinger into the back of her mouth to feel the root, then, with barely a glance at the image intensifier, slid a long needle through the outside of her cheek all the way up to the trigeminal ganglion. Jay came in from next door to watch Geeta bringing the lady to brief consciousness. Electrical stimulation of the needle's tip caused a tingling in her face, and once she'd drowsily confirmed that the position was correct, Perone had it right first time, She was put down again, while the nerve was cooked by radio-frequency thermocoagulation. The delicate trick was to eliminate her pain while leaving her an awareness of light touch. All done in fifteen minutes. Three years' misery of sharp, stabbing pain ended.